0: Will you please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the 6th chapter of the Apostle Paul's epistle written to the Galatians. We are going to be looking together this morning at verses 1 through 10. Galatians 6, 1 through 10, you can find that passage on page 1145 in your pew Bibles. I've mentioned to you before that this letter to the Galatians is at least in one sense really all about getting the gospel of Jesus Christ right. The Apostle Paul, up to this point, has been teaching, he has been correcting, he has been rebuking in this epistle all of those who would dare to make the gospel of Jesus Christ less than God himself has revealed it to be. In chapter 5 of this letter, he turned his full attention to his beloved church in Galatia, and he encouraged them to both live and to walk in faith. He made very clear distinctions between living for the Spirit and all that that entails, and living only for yourself, existing only to satisfy the evil desires of your flesh, which, by the way, Paul refers to As being evident. He says in chapter 5, the works of the flesh are evident. In other words, they're not a mystery. It's not out there where it can only be determined through strenuous philosophical contemplation. It's not just anyone's guess. Paul says the works of the flesh are. Are evident. That is, you and I do not have to spend any time fooling ourselves into believing that we are going to be shocked to find out that we are somehow unable to distinguish between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. Paul described what both of those look like in action. It does not give the Galatians a necessarily exhaustive list in that very well-known passage, one we've talked about before from Galatians 5, verses 19 through 23, where he lays out both the fruits of the flesh as well as the fruits of the Spirit. But one can certainly read these lists and fully understand the frame of mind standing behind both of them. The flesh always seeks to gratify the self. It consists of such wonderful virtues as envy and murder and deceit, hatred, jealousy, selfish ambition. All these things are actively involved when we seek only our own in this life, when we live as if there is nothing bigger than ourselves. And the Spirit then leads us in another way altogether. The Spirit leads us by way of those things that we, again, talk about all the time. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. It seeks to lead us away from self, away from self-interest, And causes us to look outward in love towards those whom the Lord in His wisdom and in His providence has placed around us in this life. And those two things are opposed to one another. One way feeds self. The other way starves self to death so that it seeks its nourishment through genuine loving service to others. You know, the other day I was reading a more modern commentary on Galatians that really could not have missed the point here any more than it did. The writer said that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is here now at the end of Galatians giving these Galatians a sort of hurried up, disorganized, messy, even chaotic list of things that he's not been able to go into depth on yet. But this is a list of things that they needed to get busy doing for themselves. As if Paul is saying to them, look, this is what the church looks like. So please stop messing around. Stop wasting time and get busy doing these things. As if Paul's greatest concern in Galatia is in any way aesthetic in nature. This author points to Paul's apparently perceived sense of urgency here at the end of this letter, and he says, "Time is short. Paul just wants to make certain that his beloved church fully understands what's expected of them, fully understands how they're to act and how they're to look as a Church of Jesus Christ." And beloved, I, 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 I saw some reactions on some of your faces. You know, it's, it's not at all how we should interpret this closing chapter of Galatians, but I want to tell you, it's the majority view. It's a common view in broader evangelicalism that that's what Christianity is all about, that Christianity is all about aesthetics. Looking the look, walking the walk. However, I think to narrow down the end of this letter in this way really is to miss the point of this letter entirely. Paul is not giving here a list of do's and don'ts for this church or for any other. Rather, he's telling them, look, regardless of what it is that you are doing, you need to know for certain this is what Christian community is like. This is what faith living arm in arm side by side with faith looks like now that they have seen the error of their ways they are back on track in their understanding of the glorious doctrine of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone solely because of the grace of almighty God alone they know they deserve judgment they deserve death they've been given life not because of them But despite them, they deserve justice, but they have been the recipients of glorious grace. And now Paul tells them to go out and to love one another, to live in peace with one another as fellow recipients of the amazing grace of Almighty God. They are free now to live for something much, much bigger, much, much better than self and self-interest. They are now free in Jesus Christ to live in light of his glorious grace. They now walk in the very spirit of God and they're to love one another. They're not to become conceited, arrogant, self-absorbed. They're not to provoke one another. They're not to envy one another. They are to be willing to lay down their lives for one another. To never esteem themselves more than those whom Almighty God has placed around them. Beloved, this this is what Christian community is supposed to look like. And Paul is making the perfect transition from railing against all forms of self-righteousness and moving forward into how it is that you and I should now live. We know from this letter that we are to flee all forms of self-righteousness, masquerading as authentic Christianity. And now Paul takes it a step further and he says, yes, this is precisely what you should not be doing. But let me take you by the hand. Indulge me for a moment. Allow me to show you what it is that we should, by the power of the very spirit of God himself, be doing as the church of Jesus Christ. Beloved, I am sure that you will notice what a contrast that is to the way in which so much of the evangelical church today views the function of the church. you understand why I would say that this morning? I think all too often we approach the church with the eye of a consumer. consumer. And we say, okay, now, nah. How will I personally benefit from this church? What will the church give to me? What will the church do for me? Do they have this program or that program? Will the pastor do my bidding? Will the elders of the church hear my voice and do what I think needs to be done? Will they play the kind of music that I prefer during worship? Will they serve me? How does Christianity benefit me? And I want to tell you, from the very outset, we get it all wrong. Because according to the Apostle Paul, according to the Word of God, we are asking the wrong question. The question is not, what can the church do for me? How can the church benefit me? We should be approaching the church and saying, how can I serve my brothers and sisters in Christ? How can I love them? Not, how can they serve me we should lay aside our motives we should throw away our agendas whenever we find they are forged out of a desire to serve self-interest because the Christian life quite contrary to so much of what passes as biblical Christianity today is not all about you it's not about the abundant thriving life of the self In fact, I think the witness of Scripture is the antithesis of that. It's all about the death of self and the blessing of new life in Jesus Christ and the community of his body, the church. And so this morning, as we turn to that final chapter of this wonderful letter of the Apostle Paul, we see him... Not throwing out a quick hit list of rules to enact, but he continues to show what the opposite of self-righteousness, selfish ambition, self-absorption looks like in application. When it's fleshed out in biblical love among the people of God. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me again, Galatians chapter 6 and follow along. I'm going to read just verses 1 through 10. Hear now the word of our Lord. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Says the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we're grateful this morning for the truth of your word. We pray that you would open our eyes to it this morning. I pray, Father, that you would clear our minds and our hearts of the many distractions that make up this life in a fallen world. And, and that you would allow us to give our focus, our attention to your word so that hearing it, Through ears and eyes of faith, Father, we might be transformed by it for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the way that the Apostle Paul here sort of manages to keep his hand very firmly on the throat of self-righteousness. Even while encouraging the Galatians to act in the way of true, authentic, and Christian love. He says in verse one, brothers, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And I say that Paul keeps his hand very firmly on the throat of self-righteousness here without bringing it up, because here we see Paul encourage them to do that which most certainly does not come naturally. We see a brother or a sister in Christ caught up in sin and what normally happens. Well, I can tell you that if you are someone prone to this type of behavior, then you know exactly what happens, right? Maybe it's just that voice in the back of our heads. Maybe we're bold enough to actually say it, to speak in our sin, to say it aloud, but we usually respond with a resounding, I knew it. Aha, I knew it. You familiar with that sound? I knew in my heart that that one was just not legit. I saw him or her do this or that. I heard him or her say this or that. I saw them sleeping in church during the pastor's sermon. I knew that one was not what he was pretending to be. I hope they throw the book at that one. They deserve it. I hope the church leaders, the civil leaders, whoever it is, I hope they just don't buy that person's line when they say they're sorry because, you know, I know they're not sorry. You can't trust a person like that. I could go on, beloved. I think we get the point. I I would be willing to venture a guess. That there's probably not a person in the house of God this morning that does not know at least somewhat exactly what I'm talking about. Our flesh does this. This idea that other people's sin become the measure of just how righteous I am. I want to tell you from the outset this morning, it's the lie of Satan himself. And you would do very well to steer clear of that kind of thinking and that kind of speaking. And I want you to know this morning that if you know, that if that is your heart, if you still hate to hear me rail against self-righteousness, if you still hate to hear me say that self-righteousness is an absolute sham, don't worry this morning because the Apostle Paul points out here that he's not talking to you. If you've embraced your self-righteousness, If if you think that's, that's the way that your life needs to go, I want you to know Paul is not talking to you here because he says something very specific. Do you see his qualifier? He's speaking to a certain group of people. He says, listen, you who are spiritual, you who have the Holy Spirit, I want you to pay very close attention to the language here. It's not you who look spiritual. It's not you who are better at being spiritual than everyone else. It's not you who presume that you are spiritual because you do this or that list of things. He says, listen, you who are truly spiritual. You who truly have eyes that see and ears that hear. You who do not just talk about faith in Jesus Christ our Lord, but you truly live in light of the object of Of your faith. You who live motivated by your gratitude that Jesus Christ came from heaven, he suffered, he died, he rose, he ascended to give you life. You who believe that, listen. You who are spiritual, Paul is talking to you. He did it to translate you from the kingdom of darkness into the glorious kingdom of light. You who are spiritual, you restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Beloved, you see the difference, right? The purpose, ultimately always the hope of anything like biblical discipline is to restore the one who has erred and to be able to welcome them back as a wayward child who has found his or her way home. That's always the goal. That's why proper discipline is done through tears. The hope is open arms. Embraces. Repentance. To long for the day when repentance has come by the grace of God and one is restored to community with his brothers or sisters in Christ. And beloved... We always have to approach sin in other people with this frame of mind. And so I ask you this morning do you? Is this your frame of mind when you hear the news of the foibles of anyone and everyone that is not tied to you and not part of your own tiny little kingdom? Do you long for their repentance? Or do you secretly desire to get a front row seat to some good old-fashioned justice? Be careful. Be very careful. You may find out that justice was the wrong thing for a sinner like any one of us to long for. It brings us back to the grace of God and the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Paul says that you should consider something as you do this. Consider yourself lest you be tempted. He's speaking to those who are spiritual. He's telling you to restore the erring one in gentleness and to consider yourself lest you be tempted. This is one of those often wrongly interpreted verses of sacred scripture. I've heard this verse used in order to explain the reason that we must keep all sinners at arm's length. We cannot get too close to sinners because when we do, we put ourselves in danger of falling into their sin or getting some of their sin all over us. What they have is contagious. It's certainly true in some instances, and I'm not suggesting that you throw aside discernment and that we do not acknowledge foolish and dangerous situations. However, That's not what Paul is getting at here. In fact, I would tell you, beloved, he's saying something quite the opposite. He's saying, you who confront, do it in love. Do it for the glory of God and not for your own vain glory. Do it because you like a father who sees his child placing themselves in situations that will lead to their demise, who then seek to place that child back on a course that encourages life. Do it with this frame of mind. You are not that different. You're not that different. You are not able to say, you have never been tempted, you have never sinned, that you have never failed. You're not that different. We are to remember who and what we are as we lovingly seek the restoration of another. Beloved, we need to see this in the church of Jesus Christ. If if we're talking about fostering these fruits of the Spirit where we genuinely love one another, this is part of that love. This is what Christian love looks like. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. Real, honest, authentic Christian love flowing from God-given faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Love that flows not from vain self-interest that masquerades as love in order to get what it wants, but love that flows from the very spirit of Almighty God Himself. Love that is entirely unnatural to our flesh. Love that is much bigger than any one of us. He says that we're not to just point the finger. We are to really, truly bear one another's burdens. And by so doing, we fulfill the law of Jesus Christ in love. Beloved, do you see the mindset that Paul is coming from here? Christian love never finds reason for a justified aha. But it always despairs to see a brother or sister fall. And it properly cries out to God for mercy. Let me be perfectly clear here. The despair is not because they're making the rest of us look bad. That's just more self-righteousness and it's heinous. The despair is in seeing them suffer from being under the weight and the burden of sin. A weight and a burden that we all know too well, Right? knowing all too well what that struggle is like. Seeing them receive the gratification of giving in to the desires of the flesh and suffering from the impact of that foolish decision. You think of all of those who've fallen around you in your lifetime. Once the dust of that moment, the moment of your hurt has faded, and the anger of that moment has subsided... Does it grieve your heart when you see it? And if it does, beloved, why? Why does it grieve your heart? Paul continues his assault against main motives here then in verse 3. He says, for if anyone thinks himself something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Again, you're not going to get a lot of sugarcoating from the apostle Paul. He speaks this pretty clearly, pretty plainly. Do you hear the word of God here? You who think that God awards good behavior, that God applauds self-righteousness, you who hear me making this plea week in and week out and think that I must be talking to someone. You who cling to your right to earn your own way to glory. You who glory in the failures of those who, quite frankly, are not made of the same stern stuff as you. You are convinced this morning that Almighty God has appointed you as his personal policeman. He's called you to point out the inadequacies of all of these around you. Listen to what Paul is saying. You are nothing. That's what the Word word of God says. Those who are still clinging to their right to justify themselves, who are still clinging to their right to be self-righteousness, you have mistakenly believed yourself to be something that you cannot be, therefore you are nothing. Your empire of super-spirituality, your list of rights longer than your list of wrongs, You who are the envy, at least in your own eyes, of everyone around you, the Bible has this to make clear to you this morning. You are nothing. 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 I am nothing. Beloved, that is the beginning of wisdom. That is the beginning of the real and true fear of the Lord. Apart from the grace of God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, I am nothing and I only deserve rightly to be condemned as a lawbreaker because that's the truth. When I decide that maybe I'm a little something, I'm becoming content with a mask when I have been given a new life, a new face, and a beautiful new identity in Jesus Christ. And by knowing that I am nothing, by dying to self, I can now embrace the cross of Christ in inestimable gratitude, knowing that even though I am nothing, God came down and he died for me. Paul goes on here and he encourages the church to stop looking for the faults in everyone else and using the failures of those around them to convince themselves of how righteous they are and to examine themselves. He says, let each one examine his own work. And he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Verse 5, for each one shall bear his own burden. Now understand, if you heard that when I read it, Paul's not just contradicted himself here. He told us to bear one another's burdens. And now he says that each one will bear his own burden. I want to tell you, he's talking about two different kinds of burden bearing. The first is coming alongside of our brother or sister in Christ and doing everything we can to bear their burdens, to lighten their load, to get our hands dirty with the work of Christian love. We grieve with them. We work with them. Sometimes we're willing to suffer with them. The next reference then is talking about our justification. And Paul is saying, you who rejoice in the shortcomings of others, consider yourself. Because on the day that you stand before that great seat of judgment, you are going to be called into account for your own shortcomings, not for theirs. Paul moves on to the issues that really show the heart of the people. He says in verses seven and eight, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that will he reap. For he who sows to his flesh corruption will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Paul tells the Galatians, they are to meet the needs of the one that is ministering to them and instructing them in the Word of God. They are to share in the things the good things of this life they are to do it as if there is no better way than to spend their resources because the one who is ministering to their souls is giving them instruction for all of life showing them the clear path of redemption ministering to their souls and it's not something we should take lightly because paul reminds them that what that which they sow they are going to reap if, in, if they instead spend their resources on satisfying the flesh with those things of the flesh, the things that are in and of themselves corrupt, then they can expect to reap corruption as the result of sowing corruption. Beloved, again, it's a call to not live in selfishness. We are to be generous. The one who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap what? Life. Everlasting life. This also says something to the Galatians and to you and I about choosing who who we will have minister to us, doesn't it? If we want the one who will satisfy our itching ears, who will tell us what we want to hear instead of what we need to hear, we will reap the reward of our We will get out what we have put in. And by allowing the false teachers to come in and to discredit Paul and to question Paul's motives, the Galatians had been swept up in a false gospel. And it was the false gospel of the men they had chosen to follow. And Paul calls them to discretion here. Paul encourages his beloved church to not lose heart. Look at verse 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. He says, brothers and sisters in Christ, serve one another in love. Never let it be a burden for you to serve. Never grow grow tired of it as if it were a burden born out of some mere sense of rote duty. That's not service in the kingdom. But truly love one another, knowing that one day the reward will be reaped in abundance. We are to judge what really stands behind our service. If you're motivated by your own glory or by the advancement of yourself through your service, I want to tell you something. I believe with my whole heart that that will become the most tiresome work. That will weary you like nothing else. But service that is motivated by Holy Spirit Love, delighting in service to others, that does not grow wearisome, does it? Do you know what it's like to grow weary in well doing? I want you to think for a minute about the Apostle Paul, the one who's saying this. He is a man who had in his short life the opportunity to practice exactly what he preached. No life that I can think of could have possibly been more past weariness as he served God through trial after painful trial and did not grow weary, but grew in joy and peace and hopeful anticipation of the life to come. He did not just say it, beloved, he lived it. And as you consider your own life, As you consider your own involvement, even in this Christian community. It's a searching question, but a necessary question to ask yourself what it is that you're living for. What it is that you seek. Because if it's selfish ambition. If you're seeking only to be served if you're seeking to use the church as an instrument for your own use, your own likes, I trust that you hear the word of God this morning in the pleading of the Apostle Paul to walk in faith, to leave aside the desires of your flesh, to stop seeking your own way, to stop seeking your own glory, to live by faith, Loving those who are part of the bride of Christ. It's one of those times where we have to step back and ask ourselves, what motivates the decisions we make in this life? We consider our well-laid plans. What purpose does it serve? Is your life chock full, full to the brim of things that serve you? Is your life all about you and what you desire? Or have you heard the Apostle Paul in verse 10 of this letter? Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. Beloved, there are duties that belong to all men and all women, and in a sense, that tie us to all of humanity. And Paul tells us Do good to all. Do good to all. Paul does not simply say this and then let it drop. He says, you should seek. If you are able to do good in this fleeting life to others, you should find it and you should go and you should do it. But if you are of the household of faith, those with whom you are bound together by that tie of faith alone in Christ alone. We need to be loving one another sacrificially like we would love our own families. Remember what Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers? These, these are my mother and my brothers and my sisters family of God is a family with ties that run much deeper than family lines or blood. By the blood of Christ, we share the bond of eternal brotherhood, eternal sisterhood with one another. And we share almighty God as our father. This is the family that we belong to. If we have embraced the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and It's far more glorious than the shadows that you and I see here and now. Paul calls on us not to embrace just the shadows, but to embrace and know and trust the reality casting that shadow this morning. Beloved, look around. We are a group of needy people. Some of us need things physically. Some of us need encouragement. Some of us need somebody to sit us down and tell us the gospel. Some of us need to be told to knock it off. Lovingly. Which I wouldn't say knock it off. That's not very loving. You know what I mean. We are not to embrace the shadows. We are to embrace and trust the thing that unites us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you lay down your life for the family of God? I know you would lay it down for your earthly family. I would lay it down for my earthly family. Will you embrace the bride of Christ and rejoice in emptying yourself of self? Serving the bride with a joy that is eternal, with a joy that doesn't grow weary. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, when we do, we will reap the harvest of our sowing. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word this morning. We're grateful that you give us the truth. And though at times the truth cuts us, you lift us up and turn our eyes towards Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that we as a people would be well aware that the thing that unites us is much greater than the things that divide us. We have one faith and one God, the Lord Jesus Christ. That We have redemption in him. And that without him, we are all on the same ground. We are all filthy, wretched sinners without hope. Father, may that hope fuel the way we live this life. May we live lives that are not only sacrifices of praise personally, but lives where we see a diminishing of self and self-interest in the pursuit of the outward wonderful love of one another.